Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Islamic History Exclusive. This is uh, the Sira episode number 22. Islamic History Exclusive is exclusively for members of the Islamic History Podcast Patreon supporters. So if you are a supporter, $4 and up, you get Islamic History Exclusive. So today's episode, we will continue the events of the fourth year of the Hijrah. Mostly, at least in this episode, we'll be discussing the... Um, the tragedy of Bir Ma'una and the expulsion of Banu Nadir from Medina. They're kind of connected. So let's go ahead and get into this. Um, Bir Ma'una took place roughly around the same time as the tragedy or the um, expedition to Al-Raji. If you remember from the last episode, we talked about Al-Raji. That was when the Prophet sent some um, companions to teach some of um, to teach some pagans about Islam. The pagans, pagans had asked for some companions to come teach them about Islam, and the pagans betrayed the Muslims and they wound up um, being captured and killed. And so, um, Bir Ma'una, uh, the tragedy of Bir Ma'una was, uh, maybe it's the ambush of Bir Ma'una, whatever, we'll get into the details. It was a similar thing, actually, but just a lot more people were involved. In fact, Bir Ma'una and um, Ar-Raji are roughly within the same month. Both according to Tariq tabari were within uh, the fourth year of the Hijrah. Uh, Safar, actually, um, which is the second month of the year, was the Saf- Safar of the fourth year of the Hijrah. So either case, they're very, very close to each other, these two events. And so the Prophet was, was hit with, um, I won't say two calamities, but two very serious um, issues um, in this uh, period of time. So let's get into the story. It starts with a man named Abu Bara, who was a pagan. Abu Bara came from, he was from uh, Banu Amir, which is a pagan, uh, one of the pagan um, pagan tribes in the area. Um, it was part of the, the Najd. The, um, the Najd is basically central Arabia. Uh, the, the area that wasn't Yemen, wasn't along the coast like Mecca and Medina, and wasn't along the other coast. Um, well, there's the Red Sea coast, which is Mecca, Medina, Jeddah, and that area. And then also the, uh, I guess, the Persian Gulf Coast, which is like Kuwait and and, um, and Dubai and stuff like that, and Qatar and things like that, that area. So it wasn't any, it's the central part of the Arabian Peninsula. It wasn't along the coast or anything like that. That's the Najd. So Banu Amir, this pagan tribe, was from the Najd, basically central Arabia. In any case, Abu Bara, he came to visit Prophet Muhammad sallam, in Medina, and he brought a gift for Prophet Muhammad and presented it to him. But the Prophet, he refused it, saying he did, he did not ex- accept gifts from pagans. And the Prophet began to talk to Abu Bara about um, Islam, started preaching to him and, and recited some verses of Quran to Abu Bara. And Abu Bara, he was impressed, and he seemed inclined to Islam. He seemed like he was on the verge of converting to Islam. And so he asked the Prophet وسلم, to send some companions to his tribe, Abu, um, his tribe uh, Banu Amir in the Najd, and teach them about Islam. At first, the Prophet didn't really want to. So keep in mind, he has he had just been betrayed in, um, at the expedition of, of um, Al-Rafiyah. So Al-Rajiyah, my bad. He's, he had just been betrayed um, previously, not too long ago, maybe just, just maybe a couple of weeks or so after after um the first betrayal so he's a little reluctant to send his companions out there but abu bara he promises he gives his guarantee of protection and the prophet decides that okay he gives his guarantee of protection and he sends out a much larger group this time um i'm not sure 
even though I'm more inclined to think, um, I believe the Prophet may have sent out a larger group in order so that they could better protect themselves. Whereas before, um, at Banu Jarjia, he had only sent out, uh, according to some, six, according to others, ten. We went along, we, we accepted the narration of um, six companions to Al Rajia. In this instance, the Prophet sent many more people, and this time it's between 40 at the minimum and 70 at the maximum. Usually what I hear is about 70, between 70 and 80. Um, I, in all the stories I've heard about this, all the different versions I've heard of the story, it's always between 70 to 80 companions the Prophet sent to um, to Najd, Central Arabia, to try to teach these um, pagan tribes about Islam. But anyway, the Prophet sends... A, a much larger quantity of Muslims along there, and he also has a guarantee from Abu Bara that he will protect them. So the Prophet is feeling much more comfortable in this whole situation. And so, roughly about, so let's just say 70, 70 companions go off, and uh, Abu Bara, I don't believe he goes with them. Um, he's not mentioned along with them, so I don't know for certain. That's neither here nor there. They have, the companions are traveling, they have a letter from the Prophet. Um, and also Abu Barah's um, guarantee of protection. So that should be enough for them to get through. And so they start traveling and they reach the well of Bir Ma'una. Bir Ma'una was roughly 100 miles east of Medina. And so it was in between territory that was controlled by two different tribes. Um, Banu Amir, which was the tribe that um, Abu Barah was from in the first place. And another tribe called Banu Sulaim. So they stop at Bir Ma'una, and now they're getting, they want to go ahead and make the introduction to the pagans and let them know what they're there for. So they sent their leader, one of the, the companions the prophet has signed a leader to them, and he goes with the message, with the letter, give, with the letter of protection to the current leader of um, Banu Amir. He goes to, he goes to a camp where um, several members of Banu Amir is. He goes to them to try to talk with them and let them know what he's there for. However, as soon as the companion enters the premises, the leader attacks him. He doesn't even bother to look at the letter, doesn't ask any questions. His name was um, Amir ibn Tufail. As soon as he sees the companion, who he automatically recognizes from Medina, he takes his spear and attacks him and kills him. And so, he now, he realizes that there are, if this guy is here, this, he's here with many more people. And so he learns that there's a group of companions, seven companions out there. So he calls his people to come out and, and encourage them to go and attack the companions. The rest of the companions don't know what happened. So Amir Ibn Tufel, he asked the other members of Banu Amir to go and attack the rest of the companions. But they realized that Abu Barah had given them the guarantee of protection, and they refuse to help. They're not. We're going to. They're saying we're not going to violate the guarantee of protection that our brother gave them. Um, you can do that if you want, but we're not going to participate in your treachery. And so Ibn Tufail he goes, and then he asks the men of Banu Sulaim. Banu Sulaim is another pagan tribe. They don't have such a guarantee of protection, and they don't have any any right to protect um, or any guarantee or any responsibility to obey. Um, Abu Abu Barra's uh, guaranteed protection. So they send a bunch of men with Ahmed ibn Tufail and Ahmed ibn Tufail and Banu Salim. They go and they ambush the other companions who were still in camp. And the companions, they realize what's going on and they take their weapons and they get their swords out. But 
They're outnumbered, they're surrounded, taken by surprise. They fight to the death, but all 70 of them were killed. The only one who survived the massacre was one companion named Ka'ab ibn Zayd. Ka'ab was seriously injured and they had left him for dead, so they thought he was going to die, but he managed to survive his injuries and he made it back to Medina. Ka'ab, however, dies not too long later, about a year or so later, during the Battle of the Trench, um, uh, the Battle of Khandak, about one year after this. So he wound up meeting his martyrdom another way. Anyway, so now, and just like just like that, and this is a, a huge blow for the Prophet just like that, he lost 70 men, just like that, out of nowhere, out of betrayal. Now let's keep bear in mind, this was not the first guy who came, to, the first pagan who came to visit Prophet in the beginning. It was not his fault, basically. He did give his guaranteed protection, but the um, the leader of the clan of his of his tribe, he disobeyed that, betrayed him, and betrayed the prophet's trust and everything. So let's try to place responsibility where it really belongs. Really belongs to this guy named Ibn Tufail. Anyway, so now, not too far away from where all this is happening, Ahmed Ibn Umayyah, remember him from the last episode? He was the assassin who used to be a bandit and a criminal that the Prophet Muhammad has sent into Mecca to assassinate um, Abu Sufyan in retaliation for the death of two of the um, of two of the uh, companions the Prophet has sent to teach the pagans about Islam who were betrayed. So Ahmed ibn Umayyah and one of uh, the Ansars, they were grazing their camels nearby. Bid Ma'ona, by the way, as well. And so we have a well that's going to be usually people coming around to water the animals and stuff like that. So Ahmed ibn Umayyah, he was in this area and he looks up in the sky. And he notices a bunch of birds flapping around um, around the region of Bir Ma'una. So when he sees that, he knows that something is happening. You just don't see birds flying around for no reason in the middle of nowhere. And <laughs> this was in the middle of nowhere. So it's either, and the, the text doesn't really mention what kind of birds they were. And most likely, um, Ahmed ibn Umayyah just reported he just saw a bunch of birds in the sky. So either this may sound kind of gruesome, either it was vultures picking over the dead flesh of the companions who were killed. I know that may sound gruesome, but that's kind of the thing that happens. Or it was some other kind of bird, perhaps eating at the scraps from the from the uh, Muslims' uh, encampment. They had a camp. They probably had food with them. They were killed suddenly, and so now the food is all over the place. And so probably a bunch of birds just flying around, pecking at it and eating eating the food and stuff. Either way, Ahmed ibn Umayyah, he knows that seeing this flock of birds flying around, bit in Ma'una, this well out in the middle of nowhere, he knows that something is going on. And so he and the Ansar... Uh, they go to investigate and see what's happening. So they climb over a hill and they look down and they see many dead companions. And they recognize these men as men from uh, Medina. And particularly the person with Ahmed is an Ansar. And most of the people, I think pretty much all of the people who, all the companions who went to uh, Beir Ma'ona were all from among the Ansar. If not all of them, definitely most of them. And so the Ansar, who's with Ahmed ibn Umayyah, he sees many of his family members, or at least his extended family members, his tribe members, is killed. And 
Ahmad ibn Umayya, he wants to go back to Medina and tell the Prophet about it. But the answer is like, he doesn't want to leave his people behind. He doesn't want to go back and have people say that you left your, your brothers behind and didn't try to avenge them. He doesn't want his, his old honor thing. So, and so this Ansar, he, he ignores Ahmad ibn Umayya, takes out his sword and chases after the pagans who had just wiped out all of these companions attacks him and he fights until he's killed also. Ahmed ibn Umayya, however, he stays hidden and he heads on back to Medina. On the way back to Medina, Ahmed ibn Umayya, he stops to rest under a tree. Remember, this is about 100 miles away, so this is at least a couple of days journey. So he stops to rest under a tree. While he's resting under a tree, two men from Banu Amir, and remember, the leader of the clan that had attacked the Muslims at Bir Ma'una, he was from he was the leader of the clan of Banu Amir. And so Ahmad ibn Umayyah, he's resting under a tree when two men from Banu Amir come down come around a little bit later and they rest down alongside him. Now as you already know from Ahmad ibn Umayyah, he can be a little bit violent at times okay we mentioned that in the last episode you remember the exploits he had the man can be kind of violent a little headstrong too however so he here's these people are from Banu Umeya I'm sorry um, Banu Amir and so Ahmed Ibn Umeya he waits until these two men fall asleep he does not know that Banu Amir have a guarantee of protection from Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam remember it's not the entire tribe or clan of Banu Amir that betrayed the Prophet's trust, it was really just one guy. The rest of them actively refused to betray the Prophet once they learned of the guarantee of protection. But Ahmed ibn Umayyah, he does not know that. All he knows is that at least one of the members of Banu Amir was among those who killed the, the companions. And also he also knows that his companions, his friends from Medina, his fellow Muslims, they were killed while in Banu Amir's territory. And so it doesn't take much for him to put two and two together. So he waits for these two men from Banu Amir to fall asleep. And when he does, he goes and kills them while they're sleeping. So the guy's kind of rough. And so he heads on back to Medina and he tells the Prophet Sallallahu about what happened. The Prophet hears it and the Prophet is not so happy with Ahmad ibn Umayya this time around. He's saying, he tells Ahmed ibn Umayyah that he, they had a guarantee of protection, and so now he will have to play, pay blood money for them. So this was a case in which Ahmed ibn Umayyah probably should have um, held his sword a little bit and not been so quick to kill people. And so that's pretty much it for the, um, the tragedy of Bir Ma'una. There's really no way for the Prophet to get revenge on them at this point in time. The Muslims are not strong enough to march out into the middle of Arabia and go and fight all these tribes. They just have to let this one go, uh, at least for now. But the Prophet still has this problem of paying off the blood money or else, you know, Banu Amir's going to come around looking for retribution. And so the Prophet goes to Banu Nadir. Banu Nadir, if you don't remember, is one of the Jewish tribes living in Medina. We mentioned that there were three Jewish Jewish tribes who had settled in Medina, and they were Banu Kainuka. We mentioned how they were expelled a couple of episodes ago. Then also Banu Nadir and Banu Koreda. So Banu Nadir was one of the Jewish tribes in Medina, and the Prophet went to them 
uh, to ask him for help with paying off the blood money because of Ahmed Ibn Umayyah's um, uh, violent tendencies, and he killed these two guys from Banu Amir. Um, Banu Nadir, uh, the Jewish tribe, and Banu Amir, the pagan tribe from the Najd that the Prophet had a guaranteed protection with, they were allies. And so the Prophet thought he would go to Banu Nadir and get them to help out with paying for it, with paying for the blood money. Not to mention the fact that um, the the tribes, the Jewish tribes, as well as all the other residents of Medina, had signed had had signed or had agreed to a mutual protection pact amongst each other. They would protect Medina and help each other out in times of need. That one zep with the other zep, so forth and so on. Uh, the Prophet Sam he went to uh, the the region of Medina, which was on the outskirts of Medina that Banu Nadir controlled. He went he went there with um, Abu Bakr, Omar, Ali, and several of the other companions for obvious reasons the prophet didn't really trust them he didn't want to go there alone but he went there with several of his companions and he asked uh, Banu Nadir to help pay the blood money and they agreed and they told him to just um you know sit down and wait here we're going to go inside and get the money and come back and help you out and so the prophet and his companions they sat down along a wall below the fortress of Banu Nadir now while they're waiting while the prophet and his companions are waiting the people of Banu Nadir they realize that this is what they've been looking for. This is the opportunity that they've been hoping for. They've been hoping for a chance to kill Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu and this is the time that they need. This is the opportunity. He walks right into their hands, right into their clutches. And so they take one of their guys and send him to the top of the fortress with instructions to drop a rock or a big boulder down on the Prophet's head and kill him. But Allah sent an angel to warn the Prophet of their plot. And when the Prophet found out about it, he um, excused himself from the companions. He told them that he had to walk away, he had to go use the bathroom or something like that. He walked away. He, le he left the companions there. And he headed back to Medina. So the companions waited around for a long time. The Prophet never returned. They wondered what happened. And eventually they head on back to Medina. When they meet the Prophet back in Medina, he tells them about Banu Nadir's plot. So the Prophet orders the um, Banu Nadir to leave Medina. It tells them that they have to get out of Medina now for their betrayal, for the treachery. Banu Nadir, they consult with uh, Abdullah ibn Ubay, who was known as the chief of the hypocrites of Medina. And he encourages him to stay. He encourages them to stay and he promises to protect them. Now, if you don't know much about Abdullah ibn Ubay, I strongly encourage you to listen to the first episode of uh, season four of the Islamic History Podcast. In that episode, we discussed the story of the ifk or the slander against Aisha radiallahu anha, the wife of, Prophet, of our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And in that episode, we get we go into a little a little bit more depth about Ibn Ubay and his story. But anyway, in this one, Ibn Ubay he encourages them. He tells them to stay in Medina. He promises to help them out if the Prophet does indeed go to battle with them. He says he has lots of people who can help him. He says he has his own followers who can help him because he has his own tribal members and a lot of hypocrites who agree with him. And then he says that also you have the other um, Jewish tribe, uh, Banu Koreida, that they will help him out. Banu Koreida, by the way, um, they back out and said, no, we, don't, we want no part of this. Uh, we have a contract with the Prophet. We're not going to violate that. They didn't call him the Prophet. They called him Muhammad or Abu Qasim or something like that. They said, we have, a, we have a, a, a contract. We're not trying to violate this. You're on this one on your own. And then, but um, 
um, Ibn Ubay, Abdullah Ibn Ubay, he's, he's still selling his, his thing. He's still doing his marketing. So he says, he also says there are thousands of Bedouins who will come in and help you. He says, promise that we're going to fight with you alongside Prophet Muhammad if he decides to attack you. And if you are forced to leave, then we're going to go out, we're going to leave with you. So Abdullah Ibn Ubay, Ibn Salul, he's really selling a big package. He's like selling the, you know, <laughs> he's doing a whole lot of campaign promising here. He sounds like a politician in a way. And I guess he actually was a politician, if you know his story. But he's really telling a, a really um, a really big load. But anyway, so with all these promises, uh, the leaders of Banu Nadir, they decide that, nope, we're not going to leave then. They go back and uh, they tell Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that, nope, we're not leaving. And if you want to fight, then so be it. And so they prepare for battle. And so the Prophet, he gets the word that um, Banu Nadir is not leaving, that they refuse to leave. So he orders a Muslim to take up arms, and he marches them out to the area, to the region uh, that Banu Nadir controls. Now, within this military was uh, Abdullah ibn Ubay's own son. His name was Abdullah also. Abdullah ibn Ubay's son, he was he was a good Muslim. He was not a hypocrite, but Abdullah ibn Ubay was. And so you kind of know that you, when your ally is, when your ally's own son is joining your enemy, you really can't trust him too much. So... Once Banu Nadir realized that Ibn Ubay's son was going along with the Prophet, they kind of realized they couldn't really count on Ibn Ubay too much, but they still held out hope that he would come to their rescue at some point. So Banu Nadir, they fortify themselves inside their fortress, then they prepare for battle. The Prophet's army, they go and they, they surround the area, they camp out in front of the fortress, and the Prophet, he, he begins to lay siege to, siege to the fortress. He orders, Banu Nadir had a whole bunch of date palms and stuff that they used for um, their, their livelihood. And Prophet had them cut down and burned. And when this happened, uh, Banu Nadir, they sent a message out to him, uh, basically chiding him about not following his own rules of engagement, his own rules of war. Because, as we all know... Um, there are certain rules of war that Muslims are supposed to follow. You don't attack women and children. You don't attack non-combatants. Don't don't destroy holy places, so forth and so on. And among those things is also you don't needlessly destroy crops and plants and things like that. Don't just do a scorched earth philosophy um, or a style of war. And so they they chided the prophet about not following his own rules of war. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down an ayat addressing this. This is um, chapter 59, verse 6. In fact, chapter 59, Surah Al-Hashr, discusses much of, this, much of this incident in depth regarding the burning down the trees, the promise from um, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, and how the, um, the reaction of Banu Nadir and all this. It's all um, laid out pretty well in Surah Al-Hashr, chapter 59. I encourage you to go... Uh, read it or listen to it afterwards to get an idea and see how the Quran lines up with the Sirah. It's a very interesting way that works out. And so the siege goes on and um, Banu Nadir, they're holed up inside their fortress and basically being starved out, basically. And they're hoping, waiting for um, Abdullah ibn Ubay to come along and rescue them. <laughs> Abdullah ibn Ubay never comes. He never comes with his own forces, never comes to help him out. Nothing. And the siege goes on, about, goes on for about two weeks until finally Banu Nadir realizes that um, Abdullah ibn Ubay is not going to come help them. They're on their own, and they decide they better deal with the Prophet directly. And so they send the uh, Prophet a message saying, we're ready, to, we're ready to surrender. And they basically want to accept the same 
uh, conditions that he had given them in the first place allow them to leave with their lives. This may seem cruel in according to today's standards, but truth be told, uh, this was this is um, this was asking for a lot um, during wartime, um, especially back then in medieval era, um, medieval times, as the prophet was pretty much living in. When um, a combatant or enemy holed up inside of a fortress and made the, and made the opponent fight them out before finally surrendering, or if a, if the opponent had to charge and then lose soldiers in order to conquer your castle or whatever or your fortress or whatever, usually at that point in time, you don't have any say in the matter. Okay, they will usually kill everybody, men, women, and children, and so. In this case, with a prophet, with the um, Banu Nadir having the opportunity to have left peacefully on their own before, with a prophet having to bring his soldiers out there, put them in harm's way, go for two weeks of sieging and besieging them, and now for them to sue for peace when the prophet could pretty much just wait them out and he would destroy them one way or the other, they're really hoping for the prophet to be merciful to them. And because uh, otherwise, the, uh, the alternative is the prophet wait them out, eventually storm the fortress, kill all the men, take the women and children as slaves, and confiscate all their property. That's the alternative. And that is what the prophet could do, and he had every right to do it. And really, had he waited a couple more weeks, he would, he would have been able to do that easily because the men would have been starved out and there would have been nothing they could do. So the uh, Banu Nadir, they're hoping that the prophet will actually have mercy on them and let them leave a little bit, leave in peace. And so the prophet actually grants them peace. He says, he grants them, he says, you can go, take your family, and everything you carry on one camel. And so each family gets to take a camel with them, pack up things on the camels. And so I think like we're a one camel for, for three people, something like that. And so uh, the fam the one by one, little by little, Banu Nadir, they eventually evacuate the fortress and the prophet lets them go. And Banu Nadir, as they're leaving, they don't want to leave anything behind. They packed as much as they could on, on those camels, even so far, according to narration, that they even were stripping down, pulling down the doors off the hinges and putting that on the back of the camel, taking that one. So you're not even going to get the door from for this house. You're not getting nothing from us if we can help it. Actually, they had to leave behind the coats of mail, and they couldn't take everything with them. There's only but so much you could fit on a camel. In any case, the Banu Nadir, they had to leave, and from uh, the narration, most of them went to take refuge in the fortress of Khaybar, which we mentioned a few episodes ago. Um, that was a, a fortress owned by or controlled by a Jewish tribe. It's about 95 miles north of Medina. Many of them, most of them actually went to stay there. A few, however, continued north on into Syria. Strangely enough, perhaps in a show of defiance or showing that they uh, weren't beaten or whatever, as they were leaving, Banu Nadir, they're playing songs and singing and had the dancing girls and everything, making it seem like it was a joyous occasion as they were leaving. I'm guessing this is maybe a, like a, a sign of a, like, you're not going to break our spirit. Uh, we're still here. We're not angry. We're not hurt. You can't beat us. Something. I guess it's something like that. I don't know how else they really framed that one. But that was the strangest thing, and the the um, the Muslims were really perplexed <laughs> as they were leaving, how these people could be so happy when they had lost pretty much everything. 
So anyway, so the prophet, he confiscated all their property that, that had remained behind. He divided up mostly among the Mahajanun. Um, there are lots of Mahajanun who were still poor. Remember, uh, the Mahajanun had lost most of, their, most of their property in Mecca or had left it behind in Mecca when they came to Medina. So many, many of them were still poor. And so he used this as an opportunity to give them housing and property and a little bit of wealth. And there are also a few uh, of the poor Ansars who had also... Um, who also needed some some help as well, and Prophet let them have some of it, some of it as well. There were two members from Banu Nadir who converted to Islam. For those two members, uh, the Prophet allowed them to stay, allowed them to keep their property. Uh, but all the others, however, they were they were gone, and that was it for Banu Nadir. So now there's only one Jewish tribe left in Mecca. I'm sorry, left in Medina. That is Banu Qurayza, and we'll be coming up to them soon. Uh, so the siege of Banu Nadir, as I mentioned, is mentioned um, in Surah Al-Hashr, chapter 59 of the Quran. I encourage you to go look at it and see how the um, the story from the Sira and the story uh, from the Quran matches up. And so that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Islamic History Exclusive, uh, Sira episode number 22. Until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.